Hey everybody, it's another week, another uh, chance for us to continue to grow together as we look at God's Word. Uh, miss you all, wish we could all be here together, but understanding that uh, the times we, we find ourselves in, we're not able to do that. And so uh, we're going to continue today in the book of James in just a moment, and but what I'm going to do before we even get started is something I should have done last week, but uh, in the nervousness probably of getting videoed, I didn't think about it. But let's go ahead and just open with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity that you have given us today, that no matter what's going on in the world around us, that we know that we can come to your word, that we can listen to it, that we can read it, that we can study it, Lord, that we can apply it to our lives. And I just thank you that you've brought us to a place where even though we might not be able to be together, that we can still have an opportunity to share with one another, for me to be able to share from your word with uh, this body, uh, with the people that you've uh, put here. We just thank you that you've provided this opportunity. I do want to pray for all those right now who are suffering or sick or in pain or in fear. Lord, I pray that you would give peace and comfort to those people this morning or this evening. And God, I just thank you so much uh, again for this opportunity. I pray that your word would speak to us, that it would allow us to be comforted and allow us to be encouraged, that God, even through this time of uh, trial, that you would use your word to help us grow closer to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are back in the, in the book of James. Last week, many of you joined us as we were in James chapter 3. Uh, and we are going to continue in James chapter 3, actually ending where we started last week. Uh, so in just a moment, we'll read the, that passage. Uh, but real quickly, uh, by way of review, just so you get caught up to where we've been, um, now, if you want more detail of, the, of where we've been, you can always go back and listen to the sermons or even last week's sermon, I gave a little more detailed review. But for today, I just want to say um, a few things about where we've been in the book of James. Uh, book of James uh, has been uh, a journey that we've been taking now for a few months. And the book of James is about how we should respond to the test of trials. That's been the, the theme that we've seen week after week and time after time that James is about how we should respond to the test of trials. And we've looked at lots of ways how we can respond in a way that is uh, honoring to God. And one of the main things that's come out of that is we've talked about how do we deal with trials and how do we uh, handle trials uh, is that we should not be double-minded, that we should not uh, be too sold or have two sides to us, that we should trust fully in Jesus so that we shouldn't be double-minded, but we should be fully trusting in Jesus. And that's where we've been talking about, whether it's with how we speak or with uh, what we listen to versus what we do or what we say versus what we do or uh, a whole array of things to make sure that we are not being double-minded, that we are not being two-faced or two-souled, as Justin has said it. And so uh, we want to make sure that we keep that in mind even today as we continue to look at this next section of wisdom. We're going to see this idea where there are two sides of something and we need to make sure that we're not dabbling in both sides, that we're not being double-minded, but that we're trusting in Jesus through it all. And then last week, and I mentioned it briefly just a second ago, but last week we looked at in trials, our tongues need to be tamed, that our tongues need to be tamed by God, that we need to trust him to be able to tame our tongues, to make our words to be Words of blessing and not words of cursing. Words that will encourage and show love to others. Uh, words that will uh, show love and praise to God. 
And we talked about how even in trials, when our, it's so tempting for us to use our words in ways that are, uh, that are just disrespectful, that are uh, blasphemous, that are mean to others, that cause dissension. But instead, we should have good and godly words as we allow Jesus to help us to do that. And so that's where we've been. And now we're going to be finishing chapter 3. So chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, was all about the tongue. The power of the tongue and how it can destroy people and how it can destroy our lives. And then now James is going to uh, go into this next section of chapter 3, which really in a lot of ways will be continued into chapter 4. But the last section of verses 13 through 18 in James, we're going to start talking about wisdom. And we're going to talk about how wisdom is something that we need to have in trials. Now you may say, and and maybe you remember from last week, that I said that this week's message, the end of chapter 3, is related to the first part of chapter 3. And that is indeed true. And you might be thinking, well, how does wisdom and how we speak, how are these two things going together? At first glance, it might look like we're entering a new subject. Something that we need to talk about that's different than what we've talked about before. But the truth of the matter is, as we look throughout Scripture, it's very clear that our words and how we speak are very closely related to wisdom and how we can show wisdom. And they're always connected. And I believe the same is happening here in the book of James. That James is talking to us about the tongue and how dangerous it can be. And then he transitions right into this idea of what is wisdom and what does wisdom look like. And that's what we're going to talk about today is what does wisdom look like. And on the heels of just talking about how we use our tongue, it makes a whole lot of sense. I'm not just saying this or making it up, but we also see this throughout Scripture. One other thing I want to draw back your attention to chapter 3 in verse 1. And it said, don't let many of you become teachers um, because we will be judged with a greater strictness. And uh, there is a lot of truth to this passage that as we talk about the tongue, the teacher uses their tongue in a lot of ways, uses words to teach people and to have influence. And so, therefore, teachers need to be careful with how they use their tongues. And then going on here, I believe there's also a connection where we talk about wise and understanding people that obviously leaders and teachers need to be wise and understanding. So I think there's that connection, but I think it goes much broader than that. I think it it doesn't just stop with just talking about teachers, but it talks about all of us. Uh, Just like last week, although James started talking to teachers, the whole passage was about how all of us can use our tongues and use our words in godly ways. And so the Bible makes it very clear that this idea of wisdom and how we speak go together for all people. I want to read you just a few passages real quickly, uh, and we're going to look at these. Proverbs 10, 13 through 14. Proverbs 10, 13 through 14 says this, On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So that's one passage that we see in the Bible that already have connected this idea of wisdom and how we speak. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2 is very similar. And maybe you know Proverbs 15, verse 1. You've heard that before, I'm sure. But then we also have to go on to verse 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Again, another proverb talking about how wisdom and how we speak are related to one another. And finally, as we move to the New Testament, Paul has a passage in the book of Colossians. 
And this is a very interesting passage. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, this is what we would read. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That's that idea of wisdom. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So it's not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament links the idea of walking in wisdom with how we speak to one another. So how we use our words and how we use our tongues and how it relates to wisdom, it's a very natural relation. And we're going to see that today as we go on in in the book of James. So with that as our backdrop, I do want to just start us by reading uh, this passage. So James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Please read along with me. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this is our passage that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at this question. It starts right off, who is wise and understanding among you? And the rest of this passage talks about how we answer that question. Who is it that is wise? Who is it that is understanding? And today's main idea that I want us to walk away with is very simple, and it's this, that wisdom equals meekness in action. Again, wisdom equals meekness in action. We don't often use the word meekness, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But if we want to remember what wisdom is, that's exactly what it is. It's being meek. It's having meekness, but that meekness is a meekness that leads to action. And so, If you need some help to remember this, just remember MIA. Many of us have heard that before, missing in action. But in this sense, we're talking about meekness in action. So if we want to think about what wisdom is, think MIA, meekness in action. And so that's what we're going to talk about through this whole time. And verse 13 talks about this. It asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? And then it says, the answer to that question is this, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so a couple things that I want to draw out from this verse as we get this main idea established. The first one is this. Wisdom is about action, not knowledge. You see, many times we start talking about wisdom, and our first thought is, how can I be wise? It's how can I know things? How can I know better? And how can I figure out how to handle things? And how can I know how to do things? And knowledge is a part of wisdom, but knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom actually, as James tells us, He doesn't say, by his good knowledge, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. No, it says in his conduct and goes on to talk about the works that are in the meekness of wisdom. See, wisdom is action. Wisdom is doing. Wisdom isn't just knowing, but it's actually doing. There are a lot of really smart people that aren't wise. And there's some people that might not be intellectually smart, but they're very wise. Because those things aren't mutually uh, inclusive. You can be wise and not intelligent. You can be intelligent and not wise. And the idea here is that wisdom is about action. It's about what we do, how we live. As Christians, we need to remember this. 
So many of us can get caught up in what we know and we forget about what we should be doing and how we should be living. And so James is very clear. He starts off by talking about good conduct. He talks about works in the meekness of wisdom, that wisdom is an action. And so we see that. That's the first point I want us to see. And then this idea of meekness. So if wisdom is meekness in action, we need to know what meekness is. Meekness has actually become one of my favorite words. Uh, and, and it's scripturally is the reason why. Uh, it's not just because I like the word for how it sounds or anything like that. But meekness is something we don't often talk about, and yet the scripture talks about a lot. And maybe you remember even years ago, I gave a message on Ephesians, and we talked about what meekness looked like. But meekness really was used most of the time in talking about taming an animal. And that's a, a beautiful picture for me to think about when we think about meekness. Uh, you know, we've all had pets, many of us, whether dog, cat, whatever it might be. Um, we talked about horses last week. You know, any wild animal is wild and they're uncontrollable and they're, they have a much power. A dog, for instance, can have a lot of power. A dog can do a lot of harm and do a lot of injury to people, especially if they're let to be roam, if they're let to roam and let to be wild. But a tame dog is different. Although the power is still there, the ability that they would have to destroy is still there, they're tame. They've been trained to not use the power and the strength that they have for bad, but instead to use uh, their attributes for good. And I think the same is true of us as we think about meekness. Uh, meekness means to be humble or to be, uh, to be uh, gentle. And really the word means to be tame. It's not that we are just, we did let people roll over us and we have no power at all. We still have the power of Christ in us, but we know how to use that in a way that's not going to lash out and harm others. And as we go on through this passage, we're going to see that that is exactly what meekness looks like. Because meekness and wisdom, the meekness and action that we see that is wisdom, is the opposite of how this world sees wisdom. And so those are just two things to start off with that we need to have right off the back bat, is that wisdom is about action and it's about being meek. It's about being gentle. It's about being humble. It's about being tame. And so those things are going to come out as we continue to look here in James chapter 3 in these verses. So three points we're going to look at this today in this passage. The first one uh, is going to be kind of a broad look at wisdom. It's going to be a broad look at the whole book of James, actually. And this is what I want to say with our first point, is that wisdom uh, wisdom in the book of James. We're going to see what wisdom in the book of James looks like. And there's a couple points I'm, I'm trying to make here. First of all, as we look at the book of James, I said earlier, it's about how do we face the test of trials. But as we look at the whole book, I can't help but see and to think about that this book is filled with wisdom about what we should do in light of trials. If wisdom is really about action, then all that James has been talking about up to this point, and I would say all the stuff that James is going to talk about from this point on, is about action. It's about wisdom. And so we've seen wisdom throughout this book, and we will continue to see wisdom throughout this book. In trials, actually, all the way back in chapter 1, and let's go back there together. Chapter 1, verse 5, many of you will remember this verse. Uh, in the midst of trials, this is what James says we should do. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. James, right off the bat, in the very first chapter, tells us that in our trials we need to ask for wisdom. 
And so we've already seen this idea in James that when we are facing trials, we need wisdom and we need to ask for it. And I think what we're going to see today as we go back to James chapter 3 in just a moment is not only just what it means to ask for wisdom, but what wisdom actually looks like. But I believe we're not just going to see that in chapter 3. We're going to see that throughout the whole book. We see also in this, in this verse, not only are we to ask for wisdom, but God is the source of true wisdom. What we just read, who is it that gives, who gives wisdom? It's God who gives generously to all who ask, and it will be given to him. God says, ask for wisdom, and I will give it to you. And he goes on and says, don't ask in a double-minded way. Don't ask in a doubting way. Ask God and know that he can give you wisdom, that he can not only give you that knowledge of how to get through the trial, but also what you should be doing through the trial, which is the whole essence of what we just talked about wisdom being. And so this is not the first time in chapter 3 that we're introduced to the idea of wisdom. It started way back in chapter 1. Way back in chapter 1, we have seen that wisdom needs to be asked for, and God is the source of that wisdom. The true thing about this whole book, I believe, is that the whole book of James centers around the idea of wisdom. And I've already mentioned this, but the whole book really does center around wisdom. Uh, And I'm going to give an illustration here, uh, an illustration that I'm hoping, if Mary Reck is watching, uh, is going to earn me uh, a cheesecake. Uh, And that's a long story. We can talk about it another time. But I want to give an illustration about what we're about to see here in chapter 3. Weeks and months ago, actually, in the book of Judges, Justin talked about this idea of a sandwich. I'm going to bring up the idea of a sandwich again, because what I think we see in James is this passage that we're looking at today, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, it's in the middle of the sandwich. Uh, And we see that there's going to be a bunch of talk about wisdom at the beginning. There's going to be this middle that's going to talk specifically about wisdom. And then the rest of the chapter is also going to talk about wisdom. And it's kind of interesting, though, as we think about this idea of this passage being sandwiched in between both halves of the book, it's interesting because I believe that it's actually not just like a sandwich, it's more like a hot dog. If many of you have been around, you know I've had this conversation with many of you. I don't want to say this to get everybody upset, but I'm thinking about a hot dog, and I'm thinking how it sits in a split roll, and that it's not just two separate pieces of bread that then come into have a filling, but it actually it's this idea that it's one piece of bread that is a split roll that comes up to uh, go around the hot dog. Now, I know this seems silly, and I know this seems simple, and the thing is, I kind of want to add some, some humor to our time together. Uh, and we can talk about how that works. But I do see here in the middle of James that we have this filling in the middle of our sandwich, in the middle of this split roll, just like maybe a hot dog would be. And the idea is, is that that roll continues. That, that idea of wisdom started at the beginning. It's going to continue on to the end. And our passage today in verses 13 through 18 is going to be the center It's going to center us around everything that's going to be happening through the book of James. So let's move on to more important things. But we're going to see so far in the first half of the book of James, what have we seen? We've seen that wisdom is seen in trusting God's goodness. It's seen in putting God's word into action. It's seen in being single-minded and loving towards others. It's seen in showing our faith through our actions. It's seen in allowing God to tame our tongues. Those are several things we've seen, and those are all wisdom, ways we can act in the midst of trials. But on the other side, after we get through this passage here in chapter 3, we're going to see wisdom that is seen in submitting to God. We're going to see wisdom that is seen in not judging others. 
Wisdom that is seen in not boasting, not trusting in riches, having patience, praying, and even accountability. And that's where we're going to be going as we go into chapter 4 and 5. And so I believe that in a very real sense, this passage of 3, 13 through 18 is the center point of all of James. How do we find wisdom? That wisdom that we started talking about in chapter 1 that we will see at the beginning of this book and at the end. And right in the middle is where we see this idea of wisdom. And James is very clear what wisdom is, which we're going to look at in just a moment. And so we think about wisdom and we continue to think about what James will say. And the first thing he wants to tell us is what wisdom is not. You see, before he even gets to what wisdom looks like and how, it, how we can use wisdom and how wisdom is action, he's going to actually go in and tell us what wisdom isn't. And he's going to show us the wisdom of the world in verses 14 through 16. The wisdom of the world. And so there's three things that we're going to look at when we look at the wisdom of the world. And then later we're going to look at the wisdom that comes from God. And we're going to look at three things that show us what wisdom is and isn't. And the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at the source. Then we're going to look at the characteristic. The main characteristic that we see as we think about um, different types of wisdom, the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of God. And finally, we're going to look at the results. If we're going to pursue wisdom, what is it going to result in? And we're going to see that today as we continue to look through chapter 3. So in verses 14 and 16, we're introduced to the wisdom of the world. In verses 14 through 16, let me just read them again to remind you of what we've seen. Uh, but let's look at what wisdom from the world, the wisdom of the world, let's see what it looks like. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every, in every vile practice. That's what we see so far. So the source of the wisdom of this world is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. It's culture, it's our own selfish desires, and yes, it's Satan himself. They all play into what the wisdom of this world, what the source is. We see that here in verse 14 or 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it says it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those three things, earthly, it's what this culture, what this world of sin says we should do. That's what worldly wisdom is. In just a moment, we're going to see what worldly wisdom looks like. But we need to know where it comes from. It comes from the ungodly world. But it also comes from the flesh. It comes from within. If you remember when we talked about temptation, it comes from our own desires. It doesn't come from God to make us to sin or even from Satan to make us sin. But it comes from our own desires. And wrong, worldly, sinful wisdom, it comes from within us as well. It's not only from without, but it's also from within. But finally, it says not only is it earthly and unspiritual, but it's demonic. Going back to the uh, demonic is this idea of satanic, of evil. There's otherworldly, and there's a real true element of worldly sinful wisdom that does come from Satan himself. And so we know that to be true. Going back to the unspiritual uh, word here, I just want to explain that for a moment. Unspiritual could be translated natural. But what it really is getting at is someone who is operating outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to have wisdom, we need to be operating in the power of the Spirit. And when we're not, it's 
unspiritual. It's from within. Because our flesh, it fights against the Spirit of God. And so therefore we see that sinful, worldly wisdom, the source of it is not God, but it's the source of a sinful society. It's the source of our sinful desires and our sinful flesh apart from the Holy Spirit. And finally, it is from the devil himself, from Satan, the accuser, the adversary that comes against us. And so we shouldn't want to have this wisdom that should be seen. This is not wisdom that comes from God, but wisdom that comes from sinful sources. So what is the main characteristic then that comes of worldly wisdom, the type of wisdom that we shouldn't desire? Well, one word it comes down to is selfishness. Worldly wisdom is all about selfishness. Back in chapter, or in this chapter, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Then it, later on, it's going to say where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And so what we see is that there, the selfishness that is seen through the world's wisdom. We see bitter jealousy and envy, wanting what others have no matter what the cost. And that is seen in this world. And you look around, you just look anywhere, and you can see that the people of this world believe that wisdom is found in looking out for number one. And if somebody has something you want or you desire, you should do whatever it takes to gain it. That is selfish ambition. That is jealousy, bitter envy. That moves into selfish ambition. Selfish ambition of being so desirous of what we want and who, what we think is best for us that we will do anything and everything it takes to get what we want. It's actually interesting. I came across this this week as we studied. Selfish ambition, the root of this word that is used in the Greek, was used of a political party member. It was used in politics of this selfish ambition to make to do whatever it takes to get yourself to be forward, to get whatever it takes to get yourself to be elected or to be appointed. Now, if we don't understand this concept, we sure should. Just think about the political landscape. Everyone is out for their own good and for themselves. It doesn't matter what party you're from. Everyone is out for themselves and for their ambition and for their next step. And so we see this as an idea of political rivalry. So you put jealousy and envy and now political rivalry together. This is what the world says wisdom is. Look out for number one. Do what's right for you. Do whatever makes you feel good. Do whatever gets you ahead in life. That is not wisdom from God. That is wisdom that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that is a wisdom that we need to get away from. I have a quote that I'd like to read. I'm going to read from a book um, called Christ-Centered Exposition. It's a, it's a uh, commentary on the book of James, and David Platt wrote it. So allow me just to read that for you just right now. And I just think this quote gets right to the heart of what this what worldly wisdom looks like. And I had I just wanted to read this, and I just I love how David Platt says things. Uh, and as we get there, we're going to be looking at this idea of what worldly wisdom is. And here in this book, he says this: Worldly wisdom views life from a limited perspective. It doesn't see things in light of eternity, but in terms of the perceived immediate impact. What is best for self-advancement and self-pleasure right now? This is dangerous, and it is motivated by self-centered ambition. A wisdom in the world measures everything by how it affects you. It's concerned with how you can advance yourself, promote yourself, or assert yourself. When looking at conversations and circumstances, the question at the forefront is always, what can I get 
out of this. James says this is from the devil. So this is an understanding of what this idea of worldly wisdom is. It's self-centered ambition, one that isn't concerned about the eternity or concerned about what God wants, but concerned about what I want, what we need, what we think that we need, what we want, and how we can advance ourselves in this world. That is the characteristic of the wisdom of the world, selfishness. But then James also tells us what are the results of the worldly wisdom that we are so that we're so tempted to try to go into and to, to search out. And the results are very clear. He says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and, and every vile practice. James is very clear. The results of worldly wisdom are not what we think they'll be. They're not going to bring advancement. They're not going to bring good. They're not going to bring uh, everything that we've ever wanted. In Actually, it's going to bring disorder, and it's going to bring evil or vile practices. Disorder and evil are the result of worldly wisdom. As we think about this idea of disorder, the way that this is defined in some commentaries that I read is this, a chaotic frenzy of fighting. Who wants to be a part of that? It's an all-out brawl. It's fighting between your flesh and God. It's fighting between you and others. That's what worldly wisdom brings is a chaotic frenzy of fighting. Disorder, chaos. The other thing is evil or vile things. And it's very simple. Worldly wisdom will lead to sin overtaking our lives. These are not things that any of us should desire. To have to deal with fighting and disunity and to have chaos and to have sin rule our lives, these are things that we need to walk away from, not walk into. And yet many of us, even as Christians, I believe, are so tempted to walk the way of the world's wisdom, to think that we need to look out for ourselves or prove ourselves in some way, shape, or form. But the Bible in James here says very clearly that doing that is only going to lead to a result of disorder and chaos, evil, sin. That should be something that we need to be running away from. So if that's what worldly wisdom is, and that's not the type of wisdom that we should have in trials, what is the wisdom that we should have? What is the wisdom that is from above? What is the wisdom that is from above, that is from God? Well, and I already got us ahead, but if we talk about the source of the wisdom from above, it's very obvious. The source of wisdom from above is not the world, it's not our flesh, it's not the Satan. The source of of our wisdom from above is God himself. God is the source of wisdom. And just a little bit later on, we're going to read this verse again, but Proverbs 2, verse 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. He is the source of wisdom. It's not anyone or anything else. True wisdom only comes from God, and we need to know that. And so therefore, if God is the source of this wisdom from above, then this is the wisdom that we need to pursue and seek the wisdom that we need to ask for back in chapter 1, the wisdom that we've seen at the beginning of James and we'll see at the end of James, all of this wisdom, we need to seek it and ask for it is because it's from God himself. And what is the characteristic of this wisdom? The wisdom from above, the wisdom we should be seeking. And to sum it down to one word, just like we did with the characteristic of worldly wisdom, is selflessness. Instead of selfishness, it's selflessness. And that's the very basis of it. If we are to have godly, true wisdom from above, it'll be a selfless wisdom that puts God and others before ourselves. Now, this isn't specifically said in a certain word here in this passage, but verses 17 and 18 are very clear 
as to what God's wisdom looks like. So allow me to just go through the words that James uses. He says, what wisdom from above in verse 17, but wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown by peace, in peace by those who make peace. So let's just break it down real quickly as we look at some of these words that James use, uses here. He says that godly wisdom is pure. Remember, even back in James chapter 1, he talked about how real religion before God is to be unstained from the world. This, is, this idea of pure is being talked about moral integrity. It's following God and what he asks over ourselves over our desires, over our sinful wants and our sinful uh, needs and all those things that we think we need, that we put sin on the back burner, but instead we follow God and we are unstained from the world, that we will walk in His ways and not in our own. That is purity. He uses peaceable here, that we would not be quarrelsome or argumentative. This goes back to even what we talked about last week when we talked about our tongue and how we use our words James says true godly wisdom that comes from above isn't a wisdom that tries to prove it's always right and to fight about it, to be argumentative, to quarrel with people, to prove ourselves. That is not godly wisdom. He goes on and says that godly wisdom is gentle. It's kind, tame, just like we talked about with meekness. It's that same idea, having a gentle spirit, not being harsh with people. Even when you are right, it's about being gentle and understanding. The next thing is reasonable, or as this says, it says open to reason. Now, this is a huge one. If we're to have godly wisdom, if we're going to have meekness in action, it means that we're going to be open to reason. We're going to be reasonable people. What does it mean to be reasonable? Well, the, the core of this word and going through Scripture, you will see that the idea of reasonable is this, that we listen and submit to each other, that we listen and submit to others. That is open to reason and being a reasonable person. Not being so sure in our own opinion that we will just stand on it no matter what, but it's being in a place where we will listen to others. That we'll realize that maybe, just maybe, what we think or what we say might be wrong. And that we will consider that and listen to advice. And that we'll actually submit at times when we need to submit and not just be so prideful and so jealous and so selfishly ambitious that we turn away from truth but that we will listen to others and, of course, listen to God. That goes without saying. We also need to be merciful. And merciful is not just feeling bad for people. Being merciful is actually having compassion and putting it to action. It's the same idea of doing how we should feel. When we feel compassion for somebody, we go through and we actually show mercy. We show action. We do what it takes to show people we love them. Fruitful is another thing that is mentioned here in James. Fruitful that we have good works. James has already talked about this in chapter 2, that we don't only speak about our faith, but it is seen through our good works. We all have good fruits. Godly wisdom from above is also impartial. This word is used to talk about being single-minded. Now just think about that word and how we've been talking about how we shouldn't be double-minded, but instead wisdom is single-minded. Single-minded towards God and how we view Him, but also single-minded how we view one another. Remember James chapter 2 talked a lot about how we need to not show partiality to people based on their, what they look like on the outside. 
And this is true not only in our relationship with God, but also our relationship with others. So godly wisdom will be impartial. And finally, godly wisdom, we're told, is sincere. No hypocrisy. James has been talking about this several times throughout the book already. Not to say one thing, but live away another way. Or not to know one thing and live another way. That's hypocrisy. It's living two ways. It's being double-minded. It's putting on a mask in one situation and taking it off in another. We should have sincere... uh, Love, if we're going to have wisdom, to be sincere is to not be a hypocrite. So if we're to have godly wisdom from above, all of these things will be true, but it all goes back to this idea of selflessness, that all these things won't happen unless we put ourselves far below God and others. Matthew 5, verses 2 through 9, is a passage that many of you are familiar with, going back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been going through the book of James with us, you know that we've said several times that the book of James is a reflection of a lot of things that happened uh, as Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew and in other Gospels. Well, the same is true today. And I want to read to you real quickly from the Gospels that passage I just mentioned in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. And in this passage, this is what we read as Jesus speaks. He says, and he, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, in verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Some of these words that Jesus used here in the Sermon on the Mount, you may already remember, we just used in James. He talks about people who are peacemakers, people who are pure, people who are merciful, people who are meek. All of these things, James is remembering as he writes this here in the book of James. And so, it's not just James saying this, but Jesus himself says this. This is what godly wisdom is. It is all of these things. It's being selfless and looking to God and others before ourselves. Finally, what are the results of godly wisdom? The results of worldly wisdom is chaos, if we remember, disorder and sin and evil. But the results of godly wisdom, James tells us very clearly here in this passage. He says at the end of all this, he says, that And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The results of godly and and, uh, wisdom from above is peace and righteousness. The exact opposite of fighting and chaos. The exact opposite of evil and sin and vile things. You see, peace is the opposite of fighting and chaos. And righteousness is uh, is the opposite of sin and evil. And so what James is saying is, look, the results of a godly wisdom are so much better and greater than the results of this worldly wisdom that just causes destruction. But godly wisdom will bring peace and righteousness, goodness, hope. All of these things come as a result of looking to wisdom from above. And so that's why we need to seek wisdom from God, seek wisdom that's from above, so that we might have true peace, so that we might have righteousness. This peace and righteousness comes through Jesus and from Jesus. And we understand that because Jesus, in just a moment, we'll see, is our very wisdom. And that's where I want to go as we conclude this this time together. I want to conclude with a couple of thoughts. The first thought is this. As we've looked at all of these things between 
worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom and how James talks about wisdom throughout the whole book and how we can have wisdom in our trials. Well, the first thing I want to say is this. True wisdom isn't found within us. True wisdom is not found as I seek it inside myself. True wisdom is only found in Jesus alone. And so my question today, in just a moment we'll look at a passage, but if, have you found wisdom, true wisdom that not isn't offered by the world, but true wisdom that is offered by God through Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you trust in his wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks a lot about wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to read a passage that talks about wisdom and what it looks like in the context of the fact that, it, that wisdom is really only found in Jesus himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose now what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If you remember, James talking about wisdom says that those who are living in a selfish way, they boast that they may be wise. He says, don't boast against the truth. The truth is what we just saw. The truth is the gospel, the cross, that Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could pay the penalty for our sin. The times we've walked away from God and gone our own way and given in to the world's way of wisdom. All those times that we've sinned and turned our back on God, they can be forgiven because Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died on the cross. That's mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And what God says through this passage here in 1 Corinthians is that this is the wisdom of God. The gospel is the wisdom of God, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. The fact that Jesus would die for our sins on the cross, later on rise again, that we'll be celebrating next week as we look forward to Easter. He rose again three days later to prove that he had defeated sin and death and that the payment that he paid for our sin was valid. And we can trust Jesus. We can put our faith in him, believe in everything he is and everything he's done. And give ourselves to Jesus and say, Jesus, have my life and do with it what you will. This is true wisdom. This is true wisdom because through Jesus, all the things we talked about, that James talked about of what godly wisdom looks like, only Jesus can do that in our lives. We can't do it within ourselves. We can't be pure. We can't be peaceable. We can't be gentle. We can't be reasonable. We can't be merciful. We can't be fruitful. We can't be impartial. We can't be sincere in our own strength. We need Jesus and we need the gospel. 
And so if you haven't come to know Jesus as your Savior, you haven't started a relationship with Him in which you trust Him and for everything, make today the day you do that. And if you have any questions about that, feel free to, uh, to talk to anybody you know who's a Christian or to send us an email or to call us or to ask us how you can know Jesus as your Savior because there's nothing greater we can do. If we want to be wise during this time of trial, which we all find ourselves in right now, if we want to be wise in the time of this trial, then we will look to Jesus. But that's not only for those who don't know Jesus. That's for us who do. Even if you know Jesus, you need to be remembering the gospel. You need to be remembering who he is and what he's done and putting yourself in his hands because he can give you the wisdom that you so desperately need during this trial. Another question to, then a question to ask is this as we continue to conclude this message. Are we searching for the wrong kind of wisdom or are we really searching for godly wisdom? James in James chapter 1 said, ask for wisdom. And then James chapter 3, he says, this is what wisdom looks like. But my question to each of us is, is are we truly seeking real godly wisdom? And I want to put it even to right now. Are we seeking it in the midst of a coronavirus world where we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? Are we going to live in wisdom that God talks about that is selfless? that puts God and others first? Or are we going to find ourselves trying to find wisdom and how to preserve ourselves, how to maintain our way of living and how to make things easy on us? Are we looking at this world in a way of envy and selfish ambition or are we looking at it in a way that God would want us to? Proverbs 2.6 reminds us again, For the Lord gives wisdom and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. It is only God that can give us true wisdom during this time. Are we truly seeking God for this wisdom? It is from his mouth that comes knowledge and understanding. Everything we need to know right now is not going to be found in, in looking to media to, to tell us what we should believe. It's not going to be found in looking on social media to see what other people think about what we should believe. What we can trust right now is God's word. That is wisdom. So we need to make sure that we are not being lured into the world's way of looking at wisdom. Right now we live in a world that is even seeing right now in the chaos that we find ourselves in. The chaos and disorder and the evil that is happening around us. People that are so desperate that they are putting themselves above others. And that's not the type of wisdom that we're called to have. We need to be living a life that is pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful, fruitful, impartial, sincere, selfless as we lean on Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. That is our calling. And I've already said this several times, but I want to once again just drive this home as we ask our last question. Are we allowing Jesus to help us show wisdom through meekness and action? If wisdom is meekness and action, are we allowing Jesus to help us with that? And Jesus gave us a promise. This isn't something I'm just making up that we can go to Jesus and he'll help us. One of Jesus' greatest promises that you can cling to during any hard time, during any trial, is found again back in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, and many of you will know this passage, but this passage is something that should give us great comfort. It should help us to know that we can have godly wisdom during this time. And it's back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 is where we start reading. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And so no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son has chosen to reveal him. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now watch this. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls himself one who is meek, one who is gentle, one who is lowly. If Jesus lived that way, then we can too because he can give us the strength to do it. And so that's why he says, come to me. Take on Jesus' yoke. Come to him and desperately ask him for help during this time in your life to have wisdom, to have meekness that shows itself in action. We need to have these things. We need to look to Jesus to have godly wisdom in the world that we're living in. That is what I'm hoping we can get out of the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. That we will see wisdom that comes from above is wisdom that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so with that, I'd like to close in prayer. And after I pray, I'm going to then close with one final scripture reading. One final reading that I want to read as we leave the time we have together that might just give you encouragement. And here we go. And let's, let's start by praying. Lord, I thank you for just so much for your, uh, your love and your kindness. Lord, I thank you for your meekness, your lowliness of heart, that we are told that, Jesus, if we just come to you and ask for help, that you can give us that wisdom, that you uh, can give us what we so desperately need to have wisdom in this world. God, help us not to seek the worldly wisdom that only leads to chaos and disorder, but help us to just be wise in you. Help us to find our wisdom in you and you alone. God, I just thank you for this time and your word that we know that we can have wisdom because you are our strength. God, for those who are struggling today, for those who are having difficulties in any way, mental, emotional, physical, God, help them to look to wisdom that you provide. Help them to trust you through this time. Help us all to trust you through this time. God, give us wisdom in your way. Give us wisdom from above and not wisdom from this world. Help us, Jesus. Help us to do these things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as I said, I have one final scripture I'd like to read you as a way of benediction this morning. And my prayer for you as we go from this is this, from Colossians 2, 2 through 2-7, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that, you, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul wrote these words to the believers in Colossians, but the same is true of us today. May you be blessed as you seek God's wisdom today. Thanks.